Welcome to Misconnections. We are both Elizabeth. I'm Elizabeth Via, aka Lizzie. And I'm Elizabeth Wyndham, aka Beth. Misconnections is a podcast that explores our longing to connect and the circumstances that stand in our way. Each episode will bring a true story of a misconnection and an expert guest to help us unpack the themes of the story so that we can all get better at making real meaningful connections that feel good to us. That's why we started this show. After a series of our own misconnections in dating, friendships, and family relationships, we decided to get some help. It's time for another Misconnections Mini, a different type of episode where we are bringing more voices, more perspectives, and expanding upon the conversations we get to have around connection. It's going to be a fun one. we spoke with Damona Hoffman about dating, relationships, and her incredible book, F the Fairy Tale. If you haven't listened already, go do that now. In the episode, we hear a story that has a magical meet-cute ripped from a rom-com. Today, we're going to talk about fantasy and connection, but in a totally different way. One thing I love to do is to read, and specifically, I read romance books. As my bookstagram friend Amanda at Talk About Swoon says, I'm mainlining serotonin through my eyeballs. <laughs> it's a great line. It's I so always good. have to use yeah. it. <laughs> but if you aren't a romance reader, the general population tends to see romance not necessarily in a positive way. Uninformed arguments often have some various forms of these complaints. It's smut. It's not good writing. It's not realistic. But that's totally not true. Well, today we're bringing in a guest to help us have a little fun with our fantasy for relationships. And we're going to explore whether we can learn more about connection along the way. USA Today's best-selling author, Andy J. Christopher, writes sharp, witty, sexy contemporary romance about complex people finding happily ever after. Her work has been featured in NPR, Cosmopolitan, The Washington Post, Entertainment Weekly, and The New York Post. Prickly heroines are her hallmark, and she is the originator of the Stern Brunch Daddy. Andy lives in the nation's capital with her two French bulldogs, a stockpile of Campari, and way too many books. Welcome to Miss Connections, Andy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome. We're happy to have you here. So, Andy, you know what I consider you? I consider you one of my lifers, which means I will read any book you've written, and I will most likely read them multiple times. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the most flattering thing that an author can hear <laughs> is that someone wants to read their books more than once because I don't even want to read my books <laughs> after I'm done. Like, That's I'm fair. like, okay, we're done. <laughs> well, fair. you know, I'm guilty of it. I will continue to be guilty of it. I just enjoy your books. So I'm a little bit fangirling today. <laughs> but one thing I was thinking about is that, like, I don't remember when I necessarily discovered your books. But what I've always enjoyed about your books is that you don't necessarily have the sunshine manic pixie heroine. You have someone that's a little bit more got a chip on her shoulder. She's got some walls. She's had some life. She's a little adverse to fantasy in some ways, which is fun. But somehow they always end up finding love and partnership. Plus, you know, 
I mean, anybody who's written a book loosely based off of Fleabag's Hot Priest, I am here for it. <laughs> Lifer. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate that. There are definitely authors who I feel that way about, so who like inspired me to start writing. So that's that's very cool. And I think I'm probably like the least like in real life romantic romance author that I know. Like, I don't even date. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> that's like how hopeless I feel most of the time. So I think one of the reasons I continue writing romance and like, even if I delve into another genre, it's going to have like a central love story there sure. mm-hmm. is because that's like my little tiny glimmer of hope that someone like me who's like really cynical and has seen some shit can find love. And so like, as long as I'm writing love stories, there's like that glimmer of hope that remains alive. So we'd like to kind of backtrack with you a little bit. Why did you start writing romance in the first place? I have always loved to read. I was I was always a big reader. All of the, specifically the women in my family are big readers. Like my mom's a big reader. My grandmother was a big reader. She read like a book a day. Um, And so... I was always surrounded by books. And when I was like 10 years old, I found this like grocery bag full of Harlequin romances in my grandma's closet. And I had read all of the like, there wasn't a lot of YA when I was a kid Mm -hmm. around. So I'd read all the YA. I'd read all like the middle grade. I've read all of like the, you know, classics in my grandma's house. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm going to pick this up. And I was just completely addicted and intoxicated by the idea that, like, two people who don't know each other can, like, meet and, like, there can be an entire plot driven by that. And so I, like, whipped through that bag. (laughs) And then every time I went back to my grandma's house, there was, like, another bag. One of her friends was a subscriber to, like, Harlequin category romances. And so I was just kept in a constant supply. And then I started going to the library. And then I started getting some of my mom's like Joanna Lindsay's and like those were really spicy. So that kept my attention. And then I kind of stopped reading romance and I started reading like very serious books that like impress my classmates (laughs) in college. And in law school, I just decided, listen, I just need to give my brain a break from really heavy stuff. So I started reading Harlequin category romances, like every chance I got again. And like some of my friends made fun of me about it, but it was like, whatever, you don't know what you're missing. (laughs) These are delicious. Like you watch Bravo. I watch Bravo too. And I'm not judging you for it. But like, if you watch Bravo, you would like these books. Mm -hmm. And so I think I was like five years out of law school. My day job remains pretty dry, but I had a dry day job. And I had a therapist who was like, you're really creative and imaginative. Like, you need to do something with that. And I think part of it was she's just trying to get me, like, leave the house and meet new people. And she thought I'd, like, meet a guy at a writing class, which (laughs) – that's not, like, a DC guy thing to do. (laughs) Anyway, so I took this writing class. uh, I took a screenwriting class first. I liked it, but, like, all of these, like, serious people were in my screenwriting class, and I'd written a romantic comedy, and they were like, well – you know, it could be funnier. And I'm like, I thought it was hilarious. It was probably terrible. I haven't looked at it in years. But then I took this class called The Extreme Novelist. And I finished actually my first book, Stroke of Midnight, which was published January 3rd of like 2017. And, you know, I just decided I really liked it. I had like a critique group, which, you know, these four other women were like really important connections for me. And we were all sort of at different places in our lives. Some of them had children, some of them didn't. And like, it was just honestly could be the basis of a women's fiction novel, to be completely honest. 
And I kind of never looked back. And like two of us out of that group are multiply published. And so it was like a really important support system. And then I found like a community of other romance writers, which is half the thing that keeps me writing yeah. is are my friends. And I just, you know, it's an important way for me to express creatively. Mm-hmm. I just recently read like The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. I think after a while in the publishing industry in particular, you can like burn out and forget like why you're doing what you're doing and you're just, like, you feel like a cog in the wheel. And so for me, I spent the past few months really trying to like reconnect to like why I do it. And I'm like, I love a story. It gives like my imagination like a place to run. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, every part of like my life, you know, every p- bit of media I take in is it's kind of mining it for story and processing it in a way that feels really creative and generative for me. Romance in particular, it's just what I love to read. And so I, you know, write what I love to read. Oh, I love that so much. You know, one thing that always pops up in my head when it comes to your books is that you always have some sort of fun cultural reference to like what's happening. Like your current book that was recently published, you know, she's going on podcasts for book tours. And I'm like, she would probably be on our podcast if she was a real human, you know, just because she's like this. Beth is trying to book that guest. You know, like who's trying to help men date, you know. And then like the book prior, Thank You Next, that witty little sentence from Ariana Grande. And then (laughs) what is it? Like how to lose a guy in 10 days, like all these little fun cultural moments in our contemporary romance that you bring into your stories as a launching point or as a reference. And it's it's just fun to interact with. I mean, I like doing that. And so like when I was thinking of like unrealistic expectations, which the heroine is a relationship therapist who writes a book called like, you know, 10 things not to do if you ever want to see a naked girl again <laughs> to try to help men date. And I think it's what's really interesting. It's sort of like the release sort of coincided with this cultural moment where we're talking about how men are so lonely. Mm-hmm. They're having a hard time sustaining relationships now that like, this is totally heteronormative. Now that like women have a choice about whether or not they want to be with them. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're like, oh wait, we have to have personalities. And that was not planned but for me, it was like the idea of if I ever wrote a dating advice book, it would be for men and it would be for 10 things not to do if you ever want to see a naked girl again. <laughs> and that was just the way I kind of folded it in. And then sort of Jessica's backstory kind of like came from that. Mm-hmm. And also, I don't know if anyone got it, but like when I was thinking about writing this book, it was like the, right when like West Elm Caleb like oh the guy guy who was sending the same mixtape to women and like had the same moves and like kind of got found out on TikTok and people were really angry about it and I feel like the anger was probably disproportionate to what he was doing because I was like this seems like really typical yeah this feels (laughs) standard but it's um maybe alarming to people to notice how standard it is (laughs) right right and so I kind of like took that online vitriol for something that's just like standard behavior. It's not good behavior, but it's standard behavior and kind of folded that into his story. I love that. One of the fun things about romance novels are the tropes. You can stack the tropes on top of each other. We've got enemies to lovers. There's just one bed, fake dating, brother's best friend, just to name a few. (laughs) But one that you coined is Stern Branch Daddy. 
And we love a stern brunch daddy here in this household. For listeners who have not gotten into the nuances of a stern brunch daddy, can you explain to us what a stern brunch daddy is? Well, okay. So this is such a convoluted story. <laughs> I'm good friends with uh, Sarah McLean, who writes some of my favorite, favorite, favorite historical romance novels. Her books are just transcendental. Like, and her her female main characters have so much in common, I think, with my female main characters. So it just makes sense that we're friends. Mm-hmm. But we have very divergent taste mm-hmm. in men. And so I used to have this huge crush on Chris Evans. I don't anymore <laughs> for various reasons. But she would joke with me that he's invisible to her. And then I think I said something about Oscar Isaac being like, you know, gorgeous. And she was like, well, he's not very visible to me either. And then there was this picture of Oscar Isaac sitting at some sort of table holding a fork. And he was like fully bearded and like just screamed daddy. This was all on Twitter. (laughs) She posted, okay, he's visible to me now. I don't think either of us have Twitter accounts anymore. So (laughs) this is gone from, and I didn't screenshot it, but it's, this is now part of the lore. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, oh, I get it. You're into Stern Brunch Daddies. And then it just kind of took off. Like a lot of people contributed, like, is this a Stern Brunch Daddy? Is this a Stern Brunch Daddy? And like, you know, her quintessential, you know, archetype is Tom Hardy. And he is a Stern Brunch Daddy. During the pandemic, he was carrying around like, vegetables with a mask on in London. (laughs) And you always see him like holding a dog or stopping to say hi to a dog. And that's like, it sort of merges the cinnamon roll with like the alpha hero, Mm -hmm. which I think to me, what makes it so appealing is like you get the best of both worlds and none of none of the worst. Because like, (laughs) in real life, in my experience with cinnamon roll heroes is they lack initiative sometimes. Wait, what is a cinnamon roll hero? I'm so sorry. I'm not part of <laughs> oh. the world. <laughs> oh, no, why? Oh, so I have to, like, I got to go back. I got to remember sometimes I'm talking to romance um, <laughs> Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> um, like a cinnamon roll hero is soft and squishy and sweet okay. and lovable. And like terrible men on the internet would call him a beta or a cuck, which mm-hmm. is not true. Yeah. He's delightful. He's wonderful. He's a cinnamon roll and he's like too good for this world. Mm-hmm. If you want to read cinnamon rolls, I would say read like Olivia Dade heroes. Those are yes. definitely, definitely cinnamon rolls. And they're just like gone for their female counterpart. Like yes. they will do anything for them, but not in a like desperate way, but just in like I'm so enamored by you and taken by you that like I want you to know that I will support you in every aspect of your life. Like that's a cinnamon. So maybe like the fantasy behind the cinnamon roll is like someone who sees you, wants you, and is confident enough of themselves to be the like soft, mushy part on the outside. Exactly. Does not hesitate. Does not delay. He's like sees you. I'm here for it. Which is very contrary to I think what a lot of women who are dating men experience on a regular basis any any sort of open vulnerability or kind of confidence in what would be labeled in a toxically masculine world, which we happen to live in, as like less than. Yes, yes. It's like a man who is like comfortable in, in being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, delicious. But you also have like the longstanding – And I have this theory about it. Like, I think women like alpha heroes who have never experienced an emotion in their entire lives, like the billionaire hero. It's like 
Christian Grey. It's like, I am dark. But that, like, the appeal of that hero in that book is he can provide anything, you know? So for me, like, the Stern Brunch Daddy is, like, you meld those two and take, like, their good qualities and you have, like, the Stern Brunch Daddy. I think it's been used classy in the streets, freak in the sheets. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) There you go. It's sweetheart in the streets, you know, total freak in the sheets. Mm -hmm. One of the things that is great about romance novels is that they are a tool for exploring and discovering and connecting with your own desire. Like we just talked about kind of the archetypes that you might gravitate toward, but like what beneath that is like the fantasy that it represents. And I think that in a world where like people might look at a romance novel and be like, well, life doesn't work this way. Like, you know, it doesn't go in this kind of like three act series of like, you know, meet cute, conflict, resolution, love forever. But I don't, first of all, I don't think that that matters. I think that it can be enjoyable regardless. But I also think that in that context, there's so much to be learned about your own desire and your own fantasy and your own kind of experience that you want to connect with for yourself. I think especially for people who maybe aren't raised in a context that promotes or supports like exploring your own sexuality or that has conversations about, you know, relationships or anything. I think that romance can be just such like a safe world to go and explore and find your own desire. So I would love to talk about that a little bit. Like what is important about that in this context and how do you think that comes up when you're writing and, you know, in your own experience from, like you said, when you're 10 starting to read these books and how do you think that created a better connection even with yourself? One of the things that I get out of writing is to be able to be connected to like my own desire. But I think, I think it's like broader than that. I think a lot of genre fiction gives us the opportunity to connect with our own id in a way that's safe and not destructive. Like, I will admit, I love like a mafia romance, like a motorcycle club romance. (laughs) I love a billionaire romance. I wouldn't want to be with any of those people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a safe way to explore like what that might be like Mm -hmm. and to then come back to your own life and be like, oh, my own life is also pretty great and I get to experience this fantasy. I think Emily Nagoski has talked about this, that like – a lot of desire is responsive. So it's in response to a stimuli. And so I I think everybody should be reading romance novels, but I especially think like women and femmes should be reading romance novels, especially if they experience responsive desire and you want to experience like more libido because it's like that external stimuli and it doesn't depend on a partner and whether or not they've done the laundry that week. Mm-hmm. It's something like that you can give yourself. And I, I think one of the reasons that people, that a lot of people, especially like people connected to the patriarchy and really invested in the patriarchy, hate romance novels is because, I mean, I don't know if they're empowering and all romance novels are empowering. That's That would be a stretch. <laughs> but in my own life, I know that they empower me to like, be grounded in my own desire and like ask for what I want and communicate and 
they give a language to like that lizard brain of the id. Once you understand, oh, I'm like responding to this because like it's hitting like my beauty button or it's hitting like the sex or power or danger button. But I mean, then you can just like play in that space. And a lot of my books are very much grounded in reality, except for, <laughs> except for um, Hot Under His Collar, which is sort of based on the premise in Fleabag. But I also think they're just like, they're safe because they end happily. That's kind of why mysteries are safe. Like, you know you're going to catch the killer at the end Mm -hmm. of a mystery or a thriller. And in romance, you know, like, the protagonists are going to end up in a happy situation together. I think a lot about, like, learning through my dating habits of, like, these are the people that I always date. And then realizing, like, okay, wait, this is all my baggage, like, wrapped up in one human. And so I can't (laughs) date this person anymore. That doesn't mean that I'm not still drawn to that experience. And sometimes I feel like media of different kinds that represents that experience can be, like, a safe place to be free in that without having the consequence of (laughs) – (laughs) like dating that actual human being (laughs) because that doesn't – it doesn't always work the same exact way. I also think that like to what you were saying about that, a safe place for a reader to have experiences without needing to have another party involved, like without needing to search out someone to have this experience with if that's not available or if that's not, you know, something that they're looking for right now. I also think that when I think I read my first romance novel, I kind of thought of it as like a first act of resistance of the relationship that I was in Mm. was like an initial act of like, you know, I think that I need to have something for myself within the context of our relationship. And I'm I'm going to explore that for me because I haven't had that on my own within this context. And so I just think that there are important ways to connect with yourself that are offered in packages that we're not maybe expecting them to be. And I think that romance novels are certainly one of those. Right, right. And I think, you know, for me, like, whenever I hear a friend say, well, I can't read romance because, like, my boyfriend will be like, you know – you're not getting what, what you need from – and, like, no one gets everything they need from one person. Sure. Like, that's just yeah. not how it works. But also, like, a lot of guys could, like, stand to read a romance <laughs> once in a while. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, at base, a lot of contemporary romance, it's just you're being seen by your partner. They support you. <laughs> they do nice things for you. And part of what makes me so cynical is, like – in relationships is like, just be emotionally available. And I think for me, it's not that hard because I make myself emotionally available creatively all the time. So like, if I do actually show up and want to be in a relationship with someone, I'm there. But I think it's hard for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people and a lot of different relationship configurations could stand to read a romance and just see models what emotional availability looks like in different contexts. Mm -hmm. I think like the irony of contemporary romance tends to be that somebody or more than one person is committed to doing the work, right? Whatever Mm -hmm. that means in the context of the story, right? So we know that there's going to be a happily ever after. We don't know what goes on after the end of the book, But up until that point, we see two people or more cross over and get connected and then 
despite whatever antics occur, whether it's comedic or not, they're still willing to kind of like figure it out together. And, you know, it would be great that that wasn't always fantasy. <laughs> it would be. It would be. It's, it's, you know, in a contemporary romance, like calendars aren't getting in the way of mm-hmm. like connecting with the people you want to connect with. In a contemporary romance, I think often like the ideas of what we want our lives to be will get in the way of connecting with what our lives are. And so in a contemporary romance, you know, the author sort of manipulating it. So like what you want your life to be is for the characters is slowly shifting over the course of the book. And you can see them doing the work, even if they don't know that they're doing the work, yeah. you're you're kind of forcing them to. And I wish I could do that to men in real life. Um, <laughs> just like slowly be like the voice in their head being like, listen. Yeah. Yeah, you're fucking up. (laughs) (laughs) You see it clearly because that's also part of the fantasy or the, I think the draw to this structure of a novel too is that there's like the moment of conflict, but there is clarity and connection and oftentimes like really great communication that happens. And I think that that is something that in real life takes a lot of skill on both sides of that equation. It takes a lot of, like you were saying, emotional vulnerability. It takes openness. It takes self-introspection. It takes empathy. It takes all of these skills or characteristics, attributes that are hard to come by in terms of they take a lot of work to generate them oftentimes. And I think that that can also be such a helpful lens of learning and again, not to th- say that romance novels need to be all about learning. This is we're taking it in through osmosis. We're not researching yes. here necessarily. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just that that to see that play out over and over again, I think can also, in an unfortunate way, sometimes raise a standard for the way that things happen in real life in those moments of direct communication and connection and clarity and like you were saying earlier Beth just like working the attitude toward like working through something with Mm -hmm. someone but I don't think we're raising the standards like to an insurmountable like sort of space sure you know I mean it'd be a lot to expect for me to you know be like I I really need my boyfriend to be a dragon (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the reasons like romantic fantasy or what they're calling it, romanticy is so popular right now is because, like, I think a lot of people are like, well, the real world feels very hopeless. Yeah. (laughs) Romance, you know, geopolitical situations, whatever. So I think, like, the more things are sort of, like, geopolitically iffy and, like, the closer to, like, the end of the world it feels like, you're going to get more of, like, the paranormal or the fantasy or whatever. But, like, I think contemporary romance, it kind of is always there, It's always saying, like, you can do this. You can work this out. For me, I think about, like, Kennedy Ryan's work. Like, her Mm -hmm. books are so beautiful. Like, you know, every time I read one of her books, I end up, like, crying in bed at, like, 3 in the morning. (laughs) Tears, like, running into my ears and my hair. It's, like, ugly cry. Yes. It's, like, the dripping from the nose type cry. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's the I'm texting her the next day, (laughs) calling her name, dressing her out um, kind of situation. But it's, like, what makes her work so beautiful is, like, you're watching two very real tender, like, people just – 
doing the very best they can in sort of like really heightened situations. And what I love about her book, I think she gets this from like Laura Kinsale, who's like, who was like known for this. She was a historical romance author. Is like nothing's ever tidy knotted up in a bow at the end of her books. Like, you know, these people are still going to have struggles, but you know that they can face them together. And so I think that's the standard we're setting. Because honestly, if you, if you can't trust your partner or your partners to actually be there for you and be willing to like work through like real life stuff, like what's the point in even being partnered? Because like, mm-hmm. honestly, I'm better on my own if I can't trust someone to like back me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's raising a standard, I think, in a certain way, but it's it's raising an important standard and one that should be met in meaningful long-term relationships, certainly. I think also what romance invites readers to do is to have conversations with themselves that they don't necessarily have opportunities to have with others. You know, like if you have a good set of friends and you can talk about all the nitty gritties of a relationship, that's great. But there are things that are often left out. And as you're reading conflict or tension or even just scenarios that you're like, well, how would I react in this situation? How would I communicate in this situation? And I think it's a nice exploration of learning how to modify your own communication and connection with others. Like we've said before, it's a safe space to to kind of self-reflect in this like lovely uh, mode of structure to which we know everything's going to happen you know, be good at the end of it all. So I've really appreciated that because I've always been the type of person who's like looked at people because I'm like a people watcher, hardcore. And I'm just like, how? When? Why? Like, how did you get together? Like, are you a couple? And like, I get to do that with romance books. You know, I get to live that story out and, you know, then market research for myself. (laughs) if and when. Right. One of my favorite things to do is I watch this, like, there's this TikTok account called Meet Cutes NYC. Yes, I love them. And they stop people on the street and ask if they're a couple and then ask, like, how they met what they love about each other, you know, what irritates each other. And I I consider that my market research. I did see one that was like, are you guys a couple? And the guy wouldn't, he was like, oh, it's really complicated. <laughs> gone by. And I was like, wait, I need to know more about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This just reminds me, I saw like an overheard LA the other day that was on an airplane and the girl goes, can we switch seats so that my boyfriend and I can sit together? And the guy says, I thought we were just dating. <laughs> like in the context, and that's what reminds me of the that story of the meet cutes reminded me of that. I think it's so funny. So. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's hard out there. It we're on vacation together, yeah, and you won't vacation. even say that we're dating. <laughs> that oh. is the best part, and so much so that you said it aloud. I've been giggling about it ever since. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I like sat for a minute and just stared off into space when I saw that because that was so like this relationship I was in in my twenties. Like one weekend he would be like, "I think we'll get married in three years," and then the next weekend he'd be like, "Well, I'm I don't even know if I'm in love with you," and honestly that. Happened has to be like my villain origin story, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
We all have well, one. <laughs> thank you to that, sir. Thank you to that man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have reaped the benefits. Mm-hmm. I actually talked to him like a few years ago, like I think at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, no, it was like a year in. And I was just like, hey, I had like a weird dream you were in it. And he just said something that confirmed that I was like, oh, you're still terrible. Okay, good. <laughs> Dodged the bullet. <laughs> It's good to check back in. And readers, <laughs> you should know and thank you next. Her protagonist interviews all of her ex-boyfriends. So there's a little <laughs> crossover there. It's a lot of fun. She does. She does. My favorite one to write was the stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And then, I, mm-hmm. you know, considering like recent events in stand-up comedy, I was like, oh, that's really realistic. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that we left out in terms of like describing romance and fantasy and connection that you would want to address? I evangelize about romance novels to pretty much anyone who will listen just because I think the world is so dark right now that being able to read something where at the end you know everything is going to be okay is like the only kind of reading I can really do right now. I can read a mystery or a thriller because I know that the killer is going to get caught and everyone's going to be fine or everyone I care about is going to be fine. But like nothing gives me that hit of like hope, like a romance novel and romance novels are the literature of hope. And I think there's such a dearth of it now Mm -hmm. because like you can, and you can find a romance about any kind of person, any kind of relationship that you can imagine. Sometimes it takes a little searching out because the algorithms are going to lift like white cis head voices to the top. But they're such an important tool that in my life, both reading and writing them to like connect to myself and, you know, grow in my own self-confidence, my ability to to get what I need out of the world. I think they're really important. And I think people like sort of trivialize them as like fluffy or girly. But just like a lot of things that are fluffy and girly, they can have an impact. Like the Barbie movie, it's, you know, 101 feminism, but I think it has an impact. Taylor Swift... 101 feminism, but (laughs) has a huge impact. Yeah. Just even thinking about the Travis and Taylor of it all, like... I mean, it's a romance novel. It's harking on the, like, the 90s tabloid (laughs) era where they, like, they've always loved and hated Taylor specifically. Yeah. And it's just, like, at a just a whole nother level right now. Well, and if you... If you are following and loving the Taylor and Travis of it all, I got to plug my friends. Alexa Martin mm-hmm. wrote an entire series um, starting with Intercepted about yes. NFL wives and girlfriends. And I, I can't recommend it highly enough. She's so, so funny and so smart. Her books are great. She's one of my lifers. Yes. She's another lifer of mine too. <laughs> yeah. So can't recommend her enough. If you're enjoying the Travis and Taylor of it all. You'll love that series. And there just so happens to be in the second book called Fumbled, a character named TK, who Mm -hmm. is loosely based off of Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. It's fun. Yes. I love that. Well, Andy, thank you so much for coming on Miss Connections and talking to us all things romance, all things connection, love and fantasy. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. And we'll have to, you know, have you as our official romance correspondent. Yes, that's already (laughs) happened. I hope you'll accept that role. (laughs) I love it. I'm currently working on a bunch of stuff that I can't talk about yet. So um, I'm happy to come back anytime when I can discuss. (laughs) Yes, please, 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 please.
Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Andy J. Christopher for joining us today. You should definitely check out all of her books, but her most recent published book is Unrealistic Expectations. You can learn more about Andy and her books at andyjchristopher.com. You can follow her on all platforms at author Andy J. Please keep sharing your thoughts, questions, and stories with us. Email us at elizabeths at mistconnectionspod.com or send us a message on Instagram or TikTok at Missed Connections Podcast. This is Missed Connections. Thanks for listening. I'm Elizabeth Wyndham. And I'm Elizabeth Via. Special thanks to our guest, Andy J. Christopher. Missed Connections is co-hosted, produced, and edited by us, the Elizabeths, Elizabeth Via and Elizabeth Wyndham. Our theme music is Feeling by Daniil Musto. Have a Missed Connections story to share with us? Email us at elizabeths at mistconnectionspod.com. And please follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube.